Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the working week and welcome to the Chels. And let's hope this week works as well with the results as it did last week. As always, I'm joined by my partner in pod crime, Andy Saunders. How are you, Andy? Uh, how are you doing, Kerry? I'm all right. How are you? Ah, oh, if only people could see that on Zoom, you're flicking V signs at me like a <laughs> six-year-old. <laughs> which you are so i think obviously you're pretty good <laughs> i'm all right yeah i'm good i'm good it's chilly today isn't it oh it is it's like it's like they, they changed the days into nights and everything's got really horrible and really cold Properly and autumnal. proper football weather proper football weather well someone we shouldn't leave out in the cold is our guest today so we should let him in it's longtime friend of the show seb fontaine Seb, how are you? It's been ages since we caught up. What's going on? Um, lots of things, just lots of, just busy really. Uh, although, after having just the craziest summer of work, it, things are really dying down, and it, it, I think it's going to be a, a bit of a different winter after such a, a, a manic summer. But it's, uh, I think everyone's extended the summer as long as they possibly can, gig wise. Don't, they, don't you get a lot of Christmas parties to do and New Year parties and things? Funny enough, not as much this year. No, there's no company Christmas parties. Everyone's no. everyone's playing safe, and most of my gigs coming in now are all coming in for next April, May onwards. It's uh, I think people are a little bit worried about a you know so called Plan B, and I tell you what is happening. So many gigs I'm doing, you know, they might be completely sold out. About, you know, everyone's getting about 30%, 40% drop-off of people not turning up, even though they bought tickets. So wow. it's a bit of an odd time, actually. Space on the dance floor. There is. Well, just so that you can throw your moves, hey, Andy. Not a sight worth seeing, I'm sure. But... <laughs> not, with, not with my knee, Kerry. <laughs> not with your knee. So you've actually got an excuse now for strange moves. <laughs> <laughs> so Have you had your haircut, by the way? 
Yes, I have. I'm back to normal. Got it all cut off, thank God. Right. Oh. Yeah, thank God. Thank God. I was like so hairy and, and hippie like. It reminded <laughs> you of your, your younger days, probably. Yeah. But, did uh, you see that picture I put on Instagram yesterday? Yes, I did. I, I thought, no, who is that? I mean, it, it's unbelievable. How did you evolve into this? I know. I, know. I put a picture on Instagram, several of you saw it, of me, me doing, my, check it out. My, doing my punk days. Oh, it was but, brilliant. Um, yeah, with lots of hair. No hair now. No. Anyway. But, uh, but yeah, and did either of you celebrate Halloween or do anything exciting over Halloween? Party I just stayed in the house with the lights off, hoping that little children wouldn't knock on my door. <laughs> well, it's quite good, actually. If you don't put, it, it seems if you don't put out the pumpkins and the scary skeletons they don't knock on your door i've got no kids in the house now so i mean i had some sweets ready to go if anybody did but I, they didn't so so i was kind of left alone really no oh, well, that's good and i suppose you live in the bloke. middle of nowhere so you don't get any do you no no it's funny because most of the kids in the village here i mean there's only 12 houses or whatever um they've all grown up and gone to university so yeah no there, there's no no sound of children anywhere it's um yeah strange and what about you seb quiet weekend uh no not really i had a gig cancelled in wales because the rugby was on and when the rugby's on in cardiff the town's a nightmare so they've moved it so i went to a house party that started friday started friday and, and finished sunday but i was only there till the earliest hours of saturday morning so i still don't i still don't look as scary as andy does in that instagram picture i'm now looking at with the uh the kind of the robert smith kind of thing going on he's got yeah that wasn't i'm the guy on the left i have to say not 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 the main guy that's not me but um i'm the i'm the other guy but uh yeah we both have similar hair um yeah yeah halloween don't really get it really i'm a bit of a curmudgeon when it comes to that that's american isn't it that's not english well, I suppose you don't do Thanksgiving either. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, all right. Well, well I tell I, you what I don't like is the combination of Halloween and bonfire night, like setting off fireworks on Halloween. It's like, come on, keep the two separate. Keep them separate, guys. Do you no. know that actually just round the corner from us in a place called Stoke Dry is where they got together and planned the gunpowder plot? Oh, yeah, Guy Fawkes and Oil is Lot just round the corner. Right, what? okay. Interesting. I mean, I'd love to say, oh, it'd be good to get something like that going again, but that would probably be seen as something you shouldn't say, so I won't probably, say it. Probably shouldn't say that. Oh, you get stopped at every airport you go through. <laughs> I'll say it was Mr Saunders. He said it. Um, but, yes, all right, well, look, I suppose we should, we should move on to, to football, really. Um, now, the first game on the agenda was the Carabao Cup which possibly we should rename the Carabao Penalties Cup after our first two games in it. And it was Southampton at home. Now, Andy, how did you see this? And were you intrigued by the side Thomas was going to put out? And did you like what you saw? Well, I saw it. I saw it from the ultra-posh seats. From, like, the proper, proper posh seats. What, you know, the most seats? The most expensive seats in the ground. Because a friend of mine is a Southampton fan. And I took him to the to the league game earlier this this year, and uh, I said, "Oh, do you want to come again?" Because he always sorts me out when we go down to South uh, St Mary's. And he said, "Look, I'm friends with you know this 
billionaire, basically, and he's got a couple of seats in the executive club, sitting above Thomas in the in the uh, in the East Stand middle, sitting above the dugouts. He said, and he said I could have those seats, and it's like a proper dinner beforehand and amazing seats. And um, I won't tell how much they are a year, but they're eye-wateringly expensive. And, oh, I was sat next to, and I was sat next to Jeremy Clarkson for the whole game. Oh, I thought it was Jeremy Paxman, you no, said. No, Jeremy Clarkson. I sent you a picture. And um, uh, he, he really didn't want a selfie with me, but he, he went, all oh, go on then. Um, he, was, he was all right. And, uh, yeah, so I watched it. For, that, that's how I watched it, um, uh, which was very prawn sandwich of me. Um, well, what I think did you, you had dinner there as well, didn't you? Yeah, you get all the dinner. You get all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's quite nicely done. I mean, it's not my thing. I'd much rather be in with the, you know, in, in with the normal people. And you um, did have prawns, though, for your dinner, didn't I you? I did have prawn curry for my dinner, yeah. Uh, I was all very, very nice as a kind of one-off thing. Uh, I wouldn't want to do it every week, though. It's a little no. bit sterile. But that is an amazing view and, uh, and, and quite the experience. Uh, how did I see the team? Well, man it was six of the people, Andy. I am man of the people. These were my people um, that I was missing in my West End season ticket seats. Uh, West End lower, I should say. Um, uh, so six changes from the weekend. Uh, Rhys James... Uh, Chalabar and Sarr at the back with Hudson Adoy playing the kind of right wing back position. Uh, Alonso on the left hand side. Uh, Kovacic and Saul making a start uh, in the middle with uh, Ziek and Barkley sitting behind Havertz. That was your team. Um, yeah, I thought that was a I thought that was a decent enough team. What did you think, Seb? I thought it was okay. Uh, I I watched it when I got home actually because I had I went to see Jimmy Carr live in Hammersmith. It was one of those things that you've had tickets that have been rescheduled, then rescheduled, then rescheduled, and I had tickets to go football. And then the missus was like, "Oh no, we're going Jimmy Carr tonight." I was like, "Oh god!" So uh, I, were you in the ultra posh seats at the Hammersmith Odeon? Uh, I was in. The, you know what? I, I really liked the Hammersmith Odeon. I went to see Madness there when I was eleven, and I, 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 it's a great place for comedy. Um, and yeah, I, I like it there. And it was, you know what? It, it was very nice to be back in a big room with comedy. But watching yeah. the game afterwards, it was a bit. I think after the Norwich game, it felt a little bit of an anticlimax. You know, I thought we were going to do a bit better than that, but it is the Carabao Cup I don't know if mentally everyone's up for it in the same way I really enjoyed the game Kerry really enjoyed it I thought it was a really good game well it was a uh, proper cup game wasn't it it, it was, was like yeah. furious end to end it kind of the one thing it really lacked was goals really it was kind of strange because yeah. it had everything except that you know we got two goals you, you had yeah it, it was a, Southampton are a decent side there's mm. no doubt about it they're a decent side they're up for a game I think sometimes their league position doesn't do them justice as a team, if you know what I mean. But yeah, as a cup. I mean, game, they made they made nine or ten changes as well. Yeah. You know, they, you know, they weren't putting out their their full team. But you know, they've got some decent players. They had some tricky players. A lot of pace in their team, uh, which caused us a few problems. Um, but you know, end to end stuff. You know, uh, you know, at points um, they certainly either side. I couldn't call it to be honest. Either side could have. You know, could have snatched it. Um, but, you know, I, I, was, I just thought it was a really good game. I, mean, I think the Carabao Cup's been good this year. Yeah, it has. And, and what was the atmosphere like there? Because on TV it came across as proper evening game that had cup atmosphere. Well, I have to say, the Carabao Cup and the Champions League games have been brilliant under lights. They have been really good. Actually, you know, the Premier League's been a little bit better. It's still, still a little bit flat because of the kind of people that are sort of in the stadium. Um, 
you know, in terms of, you know, these are not diehard fans that can afford to come to every Premier League game. So I I think Stamford Bridge in the Premier League can be a little bit flat on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, But under the lights, uh, it's been really good this year. I have to say the atmosphere was great. Yeah, I mean, have you been going much this season, Seb? Have you got back to going full time wherever possible? I've generally gone to all the midweek games and most of the night games, and I agree night games are, they just seem a bit more fun. I mean, there's nothing worse than a, a midday Saturday kickoff, I think. Um, it, it's good. I, I think with the Carabao, I think I knew the score, and I watched it afterwards. I'd recorded it, watched it afterwards, and I think because I knew the score, I didn't probably get the end-to-end excitement that you guys are talking about. Well, you didn't get the jeopardy, did you? You didn't get no. the jeopardy, so... No, so I think maybe I was a bit... You know, I was checking my phone in the uh, in in the Odeon, <laughs> which didn't go down well. But it was, uh, I, you know, I, I think I think watching it afterwards, you don't get that excitement. You know, it hasn't been called the Hammersmith Odeon for about forty years, don't you? It's the Eventim Apollo. Eventim Apollo. So we're just showing our age here, so. Yeah. All right. Okay, Andy. What was the best gig you ever saw at the Hammersmith Odeon? The Hammersmith Odeon. I saw you two there. Um, right in the very early days, I think on their boy tour, um, which was quite something. Um, what else have I seen there? I saw loads of stuff there. Um, trying to think, think I saw Motorhead there. I think I saw Thin Lizzy there. I think. Everyone played there, and the yeah. Palais. The Palais yeah. was brilliant as well. Yeah, yeah. I saw some great, saw some great gigs at the Palais. Yeah, I think well, I saw Zappa there a few times, but I guess the most exciting <laughs> gig I ever saw was uh, Talking Heads and Blondie. Oh, that would have been good. Well, that that would have been good. Was it 1978, 77, yeah? Yeah, yeah. With, the, with the album uh, for both of them, the first yeah. ones. That was great. I, was, I wasn't allowed out of the house on my own in 1977. I was six years old, so... <laughs> you were only six? <laughs> yeah. God. Kerry was old. Seven. I was only 12 in 1977. <laughs> yeah, I was 14, 15. Yeah, 15. Yeah, that was a big year for gigs. I was doing it, any gig in sight. And uh, anyway. We, well, they do say that 1978 was probably the best year for music ever. It probably so, was, actually. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty good. All right, well, look, going for the best ever, you do know that the goalkeeper for Chelsea in the Carabao Cup, he now holds the record for the most saves in penalty shootouts in Chelsea history. Kepper has eight saves, mm. but you can't bet your house on him, can you? I mean, we, that game encapsulates everything you need to know about him. It was a, I think it was a dreadful mistake for the, for their goal. Uh, what do you think, Andy? Yeah, it was. It was a dreadful mistake. Yeah, he he he. I don't know. I think he sort of second guessed it a little bit. I think he went to go with his feet, and it just ended up going through his legs or squirming through his legs and getting tapped home by 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 Evans. But yeah, it wasn't good. Um, and you're right; it just shows how quixotic he can be because he then pulled off two remarkable saves. I thought later in the game, really good saves, and then of course stepped up in the penalty shootout as he has done uh, on more than one occasion. So you're right; it's the consistency that's the problem with Kepper. He, um, you know, he's capable of, of of doing amazing stuff between the sticks, but sometimes his concentration, his decision making, let him down. But surely, surely that's that's going to be a uh, you know a, a rustiness through lack of match fitness as well. I definitely think his confidence seems better than when we were you know when when he was really awful for us. You know, and we really did need a new keeper. He does seem to have improved lots and heading in the right direction. Yeah, he's definitely he's definitely improved. I don't I don't wince when I see his name on the team sheet anymore, but I'm always aware that he's got a mistake in him. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's a question. Are either of you worried about him playing for a month while our 
lovely, delightful, superb keeper Mendy is away at the African Cup of Nations. I am, um, you know, it's not ideal because I think Mendy's developing into one of the best goalkeepers in the world at the moment. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, it's not ideal. Uh, but I think that Kepa's got a really good defence in front of him, whoever we perm from the five available, five or six available. Um, and I think that, he, as Seb says, his confidence is a lot higher than it was. I think if he can just get rid of those mistakes, and I know that's the obvious thing to say, but if he can get rid of the one or two mistakes in his game, I think he, he'll be perfectly fine. Um, and what do you think, Seb? Same I, for you? Yeah, I think I think a, um, a month a month between the sticks might be really good for him, and we might see him back to the form. That he, you know, because I think when he first came, he's, he's undoubtedly a great keeper, but he just seemed to go downwards, you know, and I think confidence and a few mistakes seem to really stick with him. You know, we know goalkeepers are very psychological creatures and things you know can really undermine their confidence and I I think I I think he'll be okay I really do and I I think it's it's good that he's getting game time now because that month is coming up well if you look at the games in that month certainly the league games in the month 2nd of January you got Liverpool you got City on the 15th Tottenham on the 22nd you know it's it's not easy in January and then you've got some FA Cup games and you know and other stuff around that as well so he's going to be tested that's for sure and will Tottenham be with or without Antonio Conte well he's going to sign today isn't he by the sounds of it we're, we're recording this on the Monday do we not find that odd I mean a manager that has argued and fallen out with every board of every club he's ever been with generally because they won't spend money is going to Tottenham well you could argue the same about Mourinho and he seems to get a job Everywhere, everywhere he wants to go. I think. Look, I mean, I think with Conte, he's proven, isn't he? He's proven, uh, you know, in all, in all the clubs he's or most of the clubs he's been to, that he's a winner, that he's a serial winner, um, that he gets performances out of players. Um, and and I think they're probably you know sort of banking on the three years and out you know the, the two years of uh, of, of uh, decent results and getting the ship stable and then obviously some massive hysterical falling out where he'll stomp off with his toys into the sunset. Do you not think Man United would have been a, a better fit for him if that happened? I just can't. I, Man U, I think they hated the whole experience of Mourinho so much, the individual, arrogant, demanding manager, that I I just don't see them this soon after all of that taking him on after Mourinho and Van Gaal. Everything you said applies to Alex Ferguson, you realise? Yeah, of course, but he grew into that, into that persona. You know, that was kind of different, but yeah, I, I take your point. My My immediate concern is, will Conte finally have bitten off more than he can chew at Tottenham? Or is this actually the right man at the right time for them? And the problem is, is with, with Conte's, of course, he's going to lose Harry Kane at the end of the season. I mean, I know Harry Kane is, is you know, couldn't it a cow's ass with a banjo at the moment? Um, <laughs> and, you know, is is completely bereft of any type of confidence or, or uh, desire by the looks of it um, but he's going to lose him and there's no doubt that that's a, that'll be a massive blow so he's going to have to replace him which means they're going to have to spend money uh, and that's when we're going to see the real the real metal of that relationship between him and Daniel Levy who famously doesn't open the purse strings so yeah I think it's going to be really interesting I don't buy this narrative from a lot of Chelsea fans with the traitor and how dare he go no, to it's Spurs a job. It's, it's, a, it's no. a job you know 
And I think we just have to accept that, you know, these are professionals. They're not fans. We have to, we've said this many, many times that the players and the managers and the staff are not fans like we are. They are professional uh, football, you know, uh, practitioners in, in whatever they do. And, and they will go where the money is and where the opportunities are. And, you know, if they go to a rival, that's unfortunate. But, it, you know, I certainly don't hold it against them. They've got to, you know, put food on the table like everybody else. But that's you've changed your tune. I would have thought you said he's dead to me. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I wasn't. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be slightly controversial here. Not a massive Conti fan. Not. I mean, I'm very pleased what he did. You know, to win us the title. But I thought the way he ended at Chelsea, the way he fell out with, um, you know, with Diego Costa, sued the club. Uh, you know, refused to do press conferences. You know, just acted like a child. I think in the last six months that he was there, really caused a lot of unrest in the dressing room. You know, I, I certainly soured my view of him. That's for sure. I definitely think that second season, it, I, I definitely think he had a lot to do with the, you know, the, the, the massive crash in form after that title-winning season. And I think it was, you know, he, he's, his kind of grumpiness and miserable attitude and arguments with the board definitely spilled over into the dressing room. I, I, I agree. What do you think, Kerry? Yeah, no, I, I'm the same. I love Conte. I loved all the stuff where he he went beyond the pale at times with leaping into the crowd, winding people up. But he was our guy at that time. I kind of like that. I like, I like yeah. that passion. In that first season, when, you know, that game, I think it was against Arsenal, wasn't it, where, yeah. where we lost and then he changed it to three at the back and it all clicked and we went on that astonishing run and, you know, and we ended up, you know, winning things. I, you know, I thought that was brilliant and, you know, he, he certainly developed a very strong emotional bond with the fans. It just all unravelled really badly. And, and as Seb says, I think you have to place a lot of that blame at his door. Yeah, and he didn't do anything to try and correct things once they started going wrong. Like that whole Diego Costa thing. When you start looking into it and speaking to people who know, that could have been resolved, that whole situation. But Conte wouldn't let it go. And I think that's his problem. I think he's a very prideful man, you know, who didn't want to back down he didn't want to appear weak he didn't want to apologize and i just think that 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 in itself is weakness that's more that that's sort of a weakness of character not to be able to reflect on your own behavior and fix it and do you think it was weakness that wouldn't allow him to accept being bald <laughs> yes because famously he had that uh, hair transplant which was a good one i have to say yeah good, I, good I, hair I, transplant. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I'm going back to. I mean, look, I, I am a bit of a Conti fan. I think he he really took us in a, such a great direction, and he brought players in from the cold and told them in to, and turned them into you know championship winning players. Um, and I think on that basis, I'm going to be quite conniving here. And I think I'm much. I'd be much happier that he goes to Tottenham than Man United because I think he'd be able to do more at Man United. Yeah. So you so you you're going to give him credit for the Vicmo decision, eh? Yeah, I think so. On a football level, on a football level, I agree with you. On a football level, I don't think you can criticise. I mean, I really, really enjoyed that season. Um, you know, up until the kind of palpable discord, you know, sort of moments. Um, you know, the Michael, you know, sort of, uh, you know, d- just some of the the stuff that happened at the end. I just left a very bad taste in my mouth, and you know, for me, kind of soured a lot of the good work that he did. But you know, on a football level, for that title-winning season, I can only give him credit. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you. All right, well, look, just quickly going back to the Southampton game, um, we get to the penalties scenario. I'm st- now, is this just me? And am I being weird because I'm not there at the moment? 
But I'm starting to feel confident about penalty shootouts. Now, for years, we we used to be scared shitless of them. And now... You swore, Kerry. What? Scared? You're going to have to put an E on this now. (laughs) All because of you. (laughs) Shitless is not swearing. In fact, we could have a poll on that. Is shitless swearing or not? Stop saying it! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, moving on. But, but, we have well, many, we were, many deeply Christian <laughs> listeners who are going to be horribly, horribly offended by this. All right. Well, uh, let, let's not even go there. Um, let's let's just let the Christians calm down for a minute and we'll move on to the fact. Penalty shootouts. Are we scared of them anymore or not? No. I haven't been scared of them since, uh, since, since Munich, to be honest. I think if we can, if we could have got through that Champions League final in Munich against uh, against Bayern to win it, Didier Drogba, you know, uh, Didier Drogba's uh, final penalty to win it for us. If we got through that, I think we were golden for penalties for for life evermore. Yeah, no, I, I think you're you're right, Seb. What about you? You're on the same tack there. Yeah, I just think we've got so many young, confident players in the absolute prime, or they're coming into their prime. And I just think this, we've got so many players that want to step up to that ball. And you know, you've got to imagine stepping up and taking that kick in front of forty thousand people's no mean feat. You've got to have some cojones. And I think we've got it. And I really do think our team is fantastic at the moment. I think there's an element of like younger players. Look, so so forgive me, just going off on a slight tangent here. T20 cricket. If you'd have said 20 years ago, 25 years ago, people would be playing reverse sweeps, ramp shots. Those of you who don't know anything about cricket won't know what I'm talking about. But kind of crazily risky shots uh, that would develop through the T20 format. Um, people would have laughed at you. But now they're just normal. Now they're just part of uh, any young batsman's range of hitting. And I think with things like set pieces, penalties, these young players are not phased by it. They practice it. They see it. They do the penenkas. They, you know, they, they are not, they, they don't have that level of, you know, it's not unusual to them to practice this kind of stuff and to, to have it in their, in their armory. The only thing about penalties is the kind of mental strength. And I think that, you know, we have incredible mental strength, as, as was demonstrated by Reese James, who scored the winning winning penalty on both occasions in the Carabao Cup this year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, there's something that you've said there about the young players, which I'd like to talk about in a second. But first, we should go to our commercial break, and then we'll come back and discuss an interesting point. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back. So Andy, you were talking about young players. Now, this is something I'd like to just quickly mention before we move on to the Newcastle game the Chelsea Academy 
It's incredible the players that it's churned up. And and this is something that we knew we were trying to do over the years. But you look at it. We've got James, Mount, Ruben, Callum, Chalabar, Christensen, all regular starters at the moment and all making huge impact on the pitch pretty much. You know, in Italy, you've got Tamori and Abraham. They played in the Roma-Milan match. You know, you've got at Palace, you've got Gallagher and Guerhi, uh, Brohar and Livermento at Saints, who are probably their best players. You've got Lamptey coming back from injury at Brighton. And you've got Billy Gilmore not getting a run out of Norwich. But that's, an, that's another matter. But the point is, even if they don't succeed at Chelsea, we are now getting a level of player coming through the academy that we could only dream about years and years ago. Uh, so what's your question on that one? My question is, are we finally, when they implemented, we heard right at the very beginning of Roman's era that we were going to try and build an academy and it would provide players for the future. And for years and years, everyone said, oh, Chelsea, they, they get some decent players. But I think we've now created a, a setup where not only are there decent players, there are some potentially great players. And the great players are coming into the Chelsea first-team squad. Yeah. And the decent players are going out to other clubs. And some will end up coming back, like Conor Gallagher, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I don't think you can... You can't argue with the level and quality of the players that are coming through. I mean, there's an argument to say that the quality players were, were always coming through, but they didn't get an opportunity under previous regimes. Um, and the fact that particularly Frank Lampard... Uh, Giving giving young players a chance has has opened the floodgates to a degree for to to allow young talent to flourish. But I think you're right. There are some really special players coming through. You know, you know my view on this. If you're good enough, you're good enough. It doesn't matter if you're a hundred million pound signing from you know from a foreign league or whether you're a homegrown player. If you're good enough to play in the Chelsea side, you're good enough. And it's not about giving players chances. It's about picking players that are oven ready to play at the elite level. Yeah, and I, my, my point is that sometimes when you try and implement change, it takes a generation or a little bit more. That actually, yes, there's been good players coming through, but I think we are just seeing a great period because this is now a generational thing. We've had the amount of time to set everything into place. But is that because of the players that are coming through, Kerry, or is it because of the regime? I mean, presumably it's I the think players. It's, uh, this is the it point. Must be, I mustn't think it? it's. No, I think I think the regime <coughs> manages to to mould those players. Yes, they've got skill in the first place, but I think they're moulded. Um, and I, it'd be nice to actually get a youth coach on to talk about this because I th I think this well, is you, an exceptional. You know, it's, you, it's the whole nature or nurture argument, then, isn't it? Yeah. Are, are great players made or born? I mean, I, I tend to go with they tend to be born. I mean, you can coach them, um, but ultimately, you need that innate talent to start with. And I think what you what you what you have now is a crop of players that have that innate talent. And you know, yes, they're being guided and navigated well by coaches and managers, but without that talent to start with, you don't you don't have it. What do you think, Seb? Well, I, I, I mean, I was going to mention later on in the chart. I, if I think controversial, you might say that Conor Gallagher's um, performance on Saturday might have been the best of a Chelsea player in, in over the weekend. I watched the Palace game. He was involved in absolutely everything. He was absolutely brilliant. Um, and I just, I, I keep looking at him thinking, wow, he's something, you know, if, if and when he comes back, he really is special. I mean, also, when you're talking about homegrown talent, I mean, I, th I think when I saw, you know, Ruben Loftus-Cheek 
coming back. I was really uninspired un, un by this. You know, he didn't do very well at Fulham. And I think for a couple of seasons, you know, I just think a lot of people just thought he'd, he'd underwhelmed on the promise that, you know, his undoubtable talent that he had as a, as, as a young player. But I've got to say, I'm eating my words at the moment. I think he's come back and he's been absolutely fantastic this season. And I, I'm, I'm happy I can eat my words on that because it, it, I, I love seeing players, you know, to, to reach their full potential. Yeah, and no, I'd agree. And, and there's something exciting about somebody like Ruben, especially because he was the forgotten man. I mean, well, who's more forgotten? Oh, I know, Danny Drinkwater. Um, but yeah, he was the forgotten man, really, that we thought we're just never going to see the best. Hopefully he can keep on going through this season and make himself such an important part of the Chelsea setup. But Andy, we should move on to the Newcastle game. The team, this was, uh, I suppose, the, well, what, what did you think when you saw the side? And let's go through it. Well, I think um, it's, uh, for me, there weren't a huge amount of surprises in there. Uh, Mendy coming back in goal. Uh, Christensen, Silva, Rudiger all coming back in defence. Uh, Rhys James... Uh, keeping his place uh, at right, uh, well, moving I should say to the to the right fullback spot from his centre back position, which he played against Southampton. Uh, Chilwell on the left, uh, Kante pairing up with Jorginho as the double six. Um, uh, Ziyech and uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi sitting behind Havertz once again playing that striker role. Yep, it, it's true. Yeah, but without Mason, you always get a little bit nervy, especially because the one thing I thought when looking at that side and the bench. If we needed something up top, we were a bit light. And we were, yeah. Well, Mason obviously unwell the day before, so he he, he was a late pullout. Um, so yeah, we didn't have an awful lot on the bench, did we? You know, we had probably Loftus Cheek uh, and Barkley were the only attack-minded players. Other than that, you had uh, two goalkeepers. You know, <laughs> Aretha Balaga and Bettinelli. You had Alonso, uh, who can get forward. To be fair, uh, Chalaber, Saul. Dave and Malang Sar, you know. So yes, you're right. Not a lot of creativity or penetration on the bench. And and the first half against Newcastle, it was a strange first half. It it didn't. We were in control without anything really happening. I I, I don't know if you saw the game, Seb. Um, yeah. But it was. You were probably out at your Halloween party. So no, I, it, I watched the game. Uh, okay. So, I mean, it was a strange first half. We threatened to kick into gear without ever doing so. But you felt if we could get a goal, then we'd be on the way because they just chucked everyone behind the ball and... It was up to us just find that moment, wasn't it? I thought it was. I thought it was going to be a frustrating game. I thought Ziyech was looking really good. You know, he had the goal disallowed. He was looking really good, and he just looked like you know he really wanted it. But it just nothing was going our way, and I just thought it might be one of those horrendous days when we completely got all the possession, doing all the right things, and nothing went right in the final bit. And then second half, <laughs> and it all changed. It did. Um, you mentioned Ziek there. For, for me, I don't know what it is. I, I'm kind of concerned about him because I'm not sure that it's quite working out for him at the moment. Um, I think there's something missing. Maybe it's just that he needs to get a goal or two. Maybe he needs to do something. And, you know, he yeah, he was unlucky in certain ways in the first half. But I'm not sure that he's the long-term option for us. What do you think, Andy? 
Yeah, he doesn't look happy in his football at the moment. That that's my he always looks a little bit um, playing within himself, lacking in confidence. He doesn't look like he's got any kind of swagger about him. And I think if you're going to be one of those creative flair players, you've got to have a little bit about yourself. You've got to have a little bit of swagger, and he doesn't seem to have that. Um, we've seen it in flashes during his Chelsea career, but not enough for me. Um, just uh, Is he playing in the right position? Is he comfortable where he's playing? Is he being given enough direction? Does he feel confident enough? I mean, all of these all these are big questions. Seb's right. I thought he, he, he showed moments, in particular with the disallowed goal, where he could have had an influence on the game but again it was another game where you sort of left afterwards thinking I don't quite know whether he's at this level yeah that, that's my concern I mean Seb I know you you like him but do you think he's doing himself justice at the moment he looks short of confidence and I think when that goal was disallowed you could visibly see him just I think he knows that what he needed he needed and it was you know he took it well I I, you know what I think I have a bit of sympathy for him I think you know there's a probably a lot of pressure with with both our strikers down I think a lot of the people that are you know on the fringes of the main team you know have been told this is your time you know there is no better time to impress and start scoring goals and I think he wanted it and I think it's frustrating and I do feel sorry for him but I also agree with both what you've said and that he doesn't seem I'm not sure this is not his level I just but but you're right something's not wrong he might be the wrong piece for the wrong jigsaw I definitely think there's a great player there but I don't think we're seeing the best of him at the moment he might be an answer to a question that nobody's asking you know he he did really well in in Holland Uh, you know he was player of the year at Ajax for about 20 years in a row wasn't he and and they loved him there he's a legend but he just hasn't replicated that level of influence on games over here well, you know, we, we stick with him and see what happens. Yeah, well, somebody who seems to be going on in leaps and bounds is our other wing back. Uh, it's all been about Chilwell the last few weeks, consistently scoring. But boy, oh boy, Reese James, when you need somebody to come up and make the difference, he did it, didn't he? He's such a fantastic player, but Tuchel has really got him and Chilwell filling in spots, getting into that penalty area, appearing in places you don't necessarily expect to see them. And they can both really hit the ball. But Rhys James, fantastic, wasn't he, against Newcastle, Andy? Yeah, he's a, he's a special player and, and, and has been. I think out of the uh, you know the crop of youngsters that we were discussing earlier, him and Mason are the ones that have really found some, some high-level consistency. I think every game that Rhys plays, you, you see consistency you see improvement you see just a comfortable attitude with the level that he's playing and I think his physicality his football brain his decision making they're just becoming more and more mature the more he plays and I thought he was fabulous against uh, Newcastle goals aside I thought he was fabulous he absolutely dominated that right hand side uh, for us their left hand side Um, and I think you know like a few other players in the team he hasn't really put a foot wrong this season. Seb do you think Tuchel is managing Reese James perfectly because under him, he's sort of been in, then he comes out for a little bit, then he comes back in. But every time we see a little bit more evolution of him as a player, I get the feeling that Tuchel and his team do a lot of coaching of the players themselves. Yeah, I, I think sometimes as fans, we question why why players aren't getting more, you know, and, and I certainly did over Chilwell and Rhys James. Um, and, I mean, if you look, wing-backs have scored 
I think, three times as many goals as our strikers this season. I mean, they're obviously important to us. I, I think Tuchel's a bit of a magician. I'm slightly in awe of him. And, you know, and I, I think we should we should probably just not question anything Tuchel does because he just seems to get it right in the end. And when he doesn't get it right, he admits it and he knows why. So, and I, I'm good with that. I, I, I think the one thing I was slightly concerned about, probably just before Norwich, was... You know, I, I think we expected more from our strikers having bought, you know, spent so much money and, and Werner as well uh, on, on Lukaku. And I just think there was something not quite right firing about our strikers. But maybe it was the link up play or something. You know, they weren't getting involved enough. Or, or But, you know, we, we just got a team that, well, last season we did very well. We won the Champions League without, you know, without any real recognised striker, you know, Dom- dominating at the front and we are a team that can score goals from anywhere but it really seems to be our wing backs that are doing it at the moment and I think you've got to hand that to Tuchel yeah and I, I think the, the other person I'd like to mention as well who I think grew into the game and people ended up raving about him was Callum Hudson-Odoi because he had a quiet first half didn't he Andy but he moved on to really go through the gears in the second half yeah, he did. Um, I think he's obviously a lot more comfortable on that left-hand side. He's 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 uh, really enjoying life where uh, when he gets an opportunity to play there. Um, I think that he is a player that just needs a run of games. I think we just need to play him. Um, he is a confident a confidence player. He thrives on confidence. That, that word swagger again when he's got swagger about him I think he can be unplayable you know he when he takes players on when he's confident enough to go past players he's brilliant and he's getting there he's definitely getting there and he's been very well managed I think by Tuchel because I get the sense that you know there's there's some darkness in 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 his mentality a little bit I don't think he trusts himself and and believes in himself as maybe as much as some of the other players do so he needs that, and I'm starting to see it. And I thought, yeah, credit to him. He had a really good game. OK, here's my last point about Newcastle, and then we'll quickly move on to the Malmo game that's coming up. Um, Newcastle, we wore blue against them. Um, now, last season against Newcastle, we wore one of our away kits. I think it was the Palace kit. And we've worn away kits quite a lot in certain games we never needed to. But this season, we've worn blue all the time. Do you think this is some kind of message from Tuchel that wants us to play in blue more often to really b- remember that we are Chelsea? Is there something in this? This theory comes from my nephew Rich over in Australia. What do you well, think? I think I think that the playing in away kits is a commercial decision to sell away kits. You know that's always been the case. And if Chelsea have made that decision, Tuchel or whoever at Chelsea have made the decision to to forego that you know, to to create that kind of blue brand or whatever they're thinking or because Tuchel has said he would rather the players play in blue when they could, then that's a good thing in my book because essentially otherwise it's just a Nike marketing exercise. Yes. Um, so that that's my view on that. Seb, do you think we are deliberately playing in blue? Yeah, I, I, I always like seeing us in blue, particularly when we should be playing in blue. I mean, I kind of got it sometimes in some of the Champions League. We had a like a Champions League away. You know, we did some weird things. But, I, you know, I, I think we should be playing in blue if we're not, you know, if the, if the colours aren't clashing. I mean, it's always good to see. But I, I've got to be honest, I, 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 I imagine it is definitely down to Nike selling more kits. And I, I, I'm not a big fan of the Nike kits. I much preferred our Adidas kits. So I'm, I'm a bit grumpy on the subject as it is. 
Can I can I just make one point before you wrap yeah, this up, Kerry? Because I want to just talk about Kai Havertz for a second and, yes. and and him playing in this number nine role, which is not his role. I think he's doing pretty well. Uh, I have to say, I think he's got a tough gig with uh, Timo and Romelu out at the moment with injury uh, and no obvious replacement. He's being asked to play in a position that, that isn't his position, but I think he's working hard, he's creating opportunities, he's scoring goals, creating assists. I think you have to give credit to him that you know he's come in and, and, and filled what could have been quite a large gap for us yeah I'd also say he's done it in a selfless kind of way because he doesn't have the greed of a normal centre forward so often he's doing a lot of the dirty work he's taking out one of the centre halves and he's opening up spaces for other people to run into you look at him I think he did it in one of the Reese James goals and he pulls somebody out of shape so you know yeah I'll go along with that I think we're seeing that he's got a team ethic Kai Havertz without a doubt all right, well, look, let, let's uh, get on to the last point of the day. It's Malmo away in the Champions League. It's an early evening kickoff. Um, how do you see this going? And what are your thoughts for the score, Seb? Um, I think we're going to, I think it might be a bit of a goal fest. I'm going to go, oh, what time's kickoff? 5.45. Okay. Um, uh, I'm going to go 3 0. I think I think I think it's going to be I think it's going to be not a not not a walk in the park, but I think it's it's not going to be a hard one either. I think it I, I think it was a pretty easy tie uh, at the bridge. Um, you've always got to give uh, a little bit of home advantage to to any team that's come this far in Champions League. I'm sure their fans will be 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 up for it. Um, listen, I mean, who knows? I, I think we should win. They weren't very good. They weren't very good at all when I watched them, and, and, I, and I don't think they've got a lot about them. So if we turn up in the right mood and Thomas gets them up for it, I agree with Seb, it could be a fair few goes. I'm going to go for another 4-0. OK, I'm going to go for 3-0. That's what I'm going for, and that's it. All right, well, look, uh, thank you as ever, Andy. Uh, thank you, Seb. Lovely to see you and catch up with you. Uh, we will be back for the preview show at the end of the week when we'll be looking forward to the Burnley game at home. Uh, until then, enjoy the Champions League and we will see you all at the end of the week. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co. UK. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.